0: Hey friends, this is Brenna Blaine, and you are listening to season four of Can I Say That? At the end of 2014, I was in a sweaty kitchen. It was more like a shed in the middle of the rainforest in Maui, Hawaii, cooking dinner for about 50 people, and we were listening to rap music. And I remember asking, hey, who is this? Who are we listening to? And they told me, and I thought, I would love to know more about this person because the lyrics were just fascinating. And I went home and I heard something about someone named Jackie Hill Perry. And I realized this was the same person whose music I had been wondering about. And ever since then, I had always thought, man, I would love to have a conversation with this person. Lo and behold, that Is what has taken place today. And if you know me, you know that this is an absolute gift from God because, man, the way that Jackie has preached and has written has absolutely changed the way that I relate to and view God. So I am so excited for you to hear a conversation that we had about content of substance. And hey, if you have not yet left a podcast review about why you listen to our show, we would absolutely love to hear. I know there are millions of choices of what you could be listening to and how you could be spending your time. And it means the world to us that you would give us a piece of your day to listen to our show. So I would just love to hear what is your reason why. And with that, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Jackie Hill Perry. It seems like in an age of digital media, there is um, a great wealth of knowledge available, but at the same time, a lower tolerance for admonishment and teaching of substance and depth. In your experience, how has that impacted people's faith, especially this generation's?
1: That's good, because I heard the question differently this time around. Um, On on one end, I think there is... A, I, I do think the accumulation of the knowledge, whether that's through TikTok, whether that's through Wikipedia, whether that's through Google, now AI, through books, through articles, I do think that we are a part of a generation that wants to learn and wants to understand and wants to know things, um, which is cool, you know, that we're not a part of a generation that wants to actually be ignorant. Now, I think the bigger issue is what it is that we want to know. Um, Because there's a sense in which somebody can have a lot of depth about politics or a lot of depth about, uh, you know, uh, organizational or systemic abuse. Right. And we should. But then they don't have any depth when it comes to the nature of God or any depth when it comes to you know eschatology and what it means that God is going to come back and that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so even the teachers that they seek out religiously, like religious teachers, are teachers that are actually quite shallow, but come across as if they got some depth to them. And I'm saying they're shallow because they're teaching you things that appeal to your flesh and your itching ears. And so how can we do both? How can we have a worldview that we're really deep in, about the things of the world, about justice, about... Uh, truth about skin care about coffee about coffee grounds like we know all of that but have if not more a deeper knowledge of the person of god because at the end of the day like if all wisdom is in jesus christ then even my my worldly wisdom is shallow if i don't know him it just that's just how it is so have you found that
0: this kind of this generation of people who are getting their information from places like instagram in TikTok has it impacted, or I guess the the shortness of these clips that we upload has that kind of created maybe like an air of I know everything, but really we're just getting these like snippets.
1: That's an excellent question. I think so. I saw a post. I don't know where it was. It might have been on Twitter when it was still Twitter, and somebody said that millennials and Gen Zs they. They believe everything on TikTok, like how baby boomers believe everything on Facebook. And when I saw that, I was like, you're right. Because I'll watch a TikTok and just just take it like it's true. And I had to really like say, like, have what's the source, even in scholarship? in academia, right? If someone makes a truth claim, they have to have a citation. They have to have a source from whence they got their information. And a lot of the stuff that we're listening to and the clips that we're watching, there aren't even any sources. It's just a bunch of ideas. Or if it is a source, it's not even a legitimate source. It's a subjective source. I feel, or this doesn't make sense or whatever the case may be. And so I do think that it's making us people who know a lot, but don't know a lot of things well. You know what I'm saying, like, and you know, I think some of it is it's convenient, right? Like getting on your phone and watching the Instagram clip, or watching YouTube, or watching TikTok, or whatever. That's quick stuff that you can do on the fly. It takes work to read a whole book. It does. It it takes work to interrogate an idea and to see if the truth the idea is actually true. It takes work to do that, and so some of some of our like some of our ignorance is by proxy of our laziness. We're lazy thinkers even though we're consistent thinkers, which is the irony. As a teacher,
0: do you think it's your responsibility to say like this is what i know and these are my sources or is it our job as a consumer to hear something and then critically think through and find the sources as a christian teacher specifically
1: it's both because you have paul where he tells timothy uh keep close watch on yourself hmm and your doctrine for it will save yourself and your hearers. And so we have the, the duty of making sure that we're communicating truth. Yet he also goes on to say like that, like you got in, in Acts where he's teaching and you got the Bereans going to the word to see if what Paul, Apostle Paul is saying is actually true, right? Like, like there's a, I think there's a relationship between the communicator and the listener And um, so for me, I think it's important. I was telling somebody recently, I was like, I'm starting to feel like certain claims that you might make on a text. You need to actually show people the process that led you to that claim, because we have too many people saying very strong things and they're just taking the communicator's word for it. Right. But if you take somebody through your hermeneutical process, then you actually leave them not in what to think, but how to think. That's really the aim of a good teacher is I need to teach you how to think so that even when you leave from listening to me or you leave from listening to like, you know, you know how to like, is it true? Where is it true? Has it been validated? Is that my experience? Would Jesus say that? Would the apostles affirm that? Is that in the Old Testament or is that in like... Does that appeal to my flesh, or would the spirit actually like asking good questions? I think is what a teacher is supposed to teach people to do. That kind of goes against
0: the hot take culture of this. Like, I can post something really snappy and attention grabbing on Instagram, but I'm not actually a good teacher unless I walk people through the process of how that was processed.
1: Uh huh. And so, would you say that people who post hot takes they don't think that they are legitimate teachers?
0: No, I think people who post hot takes think that they are really good teachers. And oh. I, I, think maybe, <laughs> like, I, I think they're like, well, this got a lot of likes or so it's going to get a lot of attention when they're yeah. actually doing the responsible job of going, okay, here's where yeah. there's nuance in this in this yeah. topic. Yeah, But this is where I'm landing and this is how I landed there. Because I think there's so much like unkindness when it's like I think like a big topic right now is green rooms. People are like, green rooms are bad or green rooms are good. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Maybe, what if we had a fruitful conversation about mm-hmm. the nuance that has to do mm-hmm. with church green rooms instead of just mm-hmm. saying, my conviction is that they're bad and so everyone's conviction should be that they're bad.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think um, one element of being a communicator that I think some people need to remember is that it's a function of love. Mm. So I need to love the people I'm talking to. And if I love the people I'm talking to, what I say and how I say it is going to be shaped by that love, you know? And so I'm not just sharing just to share. I'm not, Cause I've gotten myself, I've, got, I've done that before. And like, I've had Really wise people correct me um, when I've said things on social media that were were unprocessed, were not thought out. And they, it wasn't even that they were it was it wasn't sinful. It just wasn't wise. And it wasn't wise because I didn't consider people. I was only just trying to get some off my chest. And that's not what social media is for. People on social media ain't your friends. This ain't your small group. This ain't your community. Right. So this isn't necessarily the place where you get some off your chest, where you vent, where you where you, you know, I don't like green rooms. Like process that with people, you know, so that you can think through it in a really thoughtful way so that when you do present it publicly, it's actually helpful. Um, And that takes that takes work. And I think it takes a self-awareness. But I've I've seen that it actually it just it just bodes better when we do stuff like that.
0: What would you say to people who are listening to you right now and going, Well, but what about tough love? Tough love's a thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. So love and I think sometimes language can get tricky, right? So you got Jesus telling people the truth, but he's also God and therefore he also he's also love. And so obviously being a loving communicator being a loving person means i'm going to say hard things the bible is a hard book when you read what jeremiah was having to say to these people and isaiah and john the baptist and paul and peter and jude like that was some hard stuff right but i i think I think sometimes we, we want to say hard things, not because we actually love people. I, I really believe that. I think sometimes we want to say hard things because we want to be provocative or we want to be a controversialist because there are people building whole platforms and whole ministries off of saying hard things, right? But the hard things is being motivated by greed and God is not honored by that. And so do we actually love people? Like, do we, do we love them? Do we, do we have compassion? Do we love God? And if so, then when you say the hard thing, it's going to land different. It just is at the end of the day. And if you have a platform where 90% of what you say is hard, then that's crazy because that's an undeveloped ministry that you must have, right? Because if if God communicated with us in such a way where every single thing he said to us was hard, you know how much shame we would live under? You know how much sin you have that God hasn't even brought to the surface yet because he doesn't want to crush you? Right? Like Isaiah six, God like he stands before God and says, Woe is me, a man of unclean lips. That's one thing. There was many things wrong with Isaiah, right? But it was the Lord's spirit that brought about what. So I I, I think we even have to be we have to be more parental in our communication and seeing that, like, no, like sometimes you say a hard thing and then you follow it with a six nice soft. Levity things, you know what I'm saying? So that when you bring the hard thing back, people aren't like discouraged. We don't want to discourage people. I just went on a rant, but that bothers me.
0: (laughs) Why do you think there is so much Christian content being produced that could be considered maybe wide in who it applies to, but not necessarily deep? And how can we as Christians say to Our pastors and our teachers and writers and podcasters, we want content of substance, even when it's hard to receive.
1: When you say wide, what do you mean?
0: Maybe more of the like Christian motivational side of things, like God wants good things for you, and then
1: never really talking Mm -hmm. about the pruning Mm -hmm. parts of the Bible. I've been processing that a lot. I'm trying to think through what I should share, but <laughs> um I think a potential motive is people pleasing. I think it you will get a lot of followers, you will get a lot of members, you will get a lot of love, and you'll get a lot of money if you say things that make sinners feel safe. Right? Like I remember being at a conference. And I was observing the kind of people, kinds of people that were there. And I'm not judging. I'm just saying, I was like, there's a, there's a worldliness here. There's a looseness to the people. And then I thought to myself, if I was still in sin, if I was the old Jackie, would I have felt led to repent through what, like what was preached? And I wouldn't have, I would have felt comfortable. I would have felt like God is with me too. You know what I'm saying? And I think I think that's an element that these pastors and these communicators have to deal with is whose kingdom are you building? Are you building yours? Are you building the kingdom of God? And if you're building the kingdom of God, then you need to preach the whole counsel of God. And if you preach the whole counsel of God, you're gonna get to, to some texts that you can't make pretty. You're gonna get to some texts that have no confetti, right? Like when you get to Genesis 16, and you got God telling Hagar to go back and submit to the woman that was just abusing her. How you make that pretty? How you make that cute, right? But they don't touch those texts. <laughs> they don't preach through whole books. They just pick and choose what they can talk from. And so they can beautify the thing. And so I think there's a motive happening. Um, I think for the ones who that's not the motive, there might be some immaturity or there might be some fear or there might be, it's at the end of the day, do we believe that this book is 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 inspired by the Holy Spirit? Yes or no. Okay. Do we believe that this book is authoritative? Yes or no. Do we believe that this book actually changes people's lives? Yes or no. Do we believe that this book reveals God? Yes or no. In it revealing God, do we believe that God is worthy? Do we believe he's good? Do we believe he's creator? Do we believe he's coming back? If that, If you put all of that together, it compels you to preach the whole thing. It compels you. you. You have no other option because I want people to know God. And if I want people to know God, I have to preach the book that God gave me to preach about him. Um, and I I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact I'm encouraged by your question. I'm encouraged by there are so many people that just want the truth. They really do. They don't need all the flowers. They don't need all the lights. They don't need all the extras. They don't need the thunder. They don't need the flood. They don't need none. They just like, give me, just just give me Jesus. And I think that's why the, the, like, the road to life is narrow and few will find it. So if you're one of those few, praise God. Praise God.
0: You talked a little bit about your old self. How has the pruning parts of God's word impacted your life personally? And what has it given
1: birth to? Girl, I was I was sharing with somebody the other day. I'm walking with somebody who they're just in a really confusing season. They've probably been in the Lord a few months. And it reminded me of when I first came to faith and how I was perpetually confused (laughs) because I didn't know what I was doing. I just didn't know. I just, I didn't know how to read. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to fast. I didn't know if that was sinful. I didn't know if I could talk to that person. I didn't know if I should talk to that person. I didn't know if I should pray for 15 minutes. I didn't know if that was God's voice or my own subconscious. I, I just felt all over the place. And it was discouraging, but God used it because it's in that place where I got to know him it's in that place where I realized I ain't not have to know everything. It's in that place where I started to figure him out. It's in that place that I saw that he was a keeper. And so that's answering your question and saying like the the hard parts, the hard seasons, when I've gotten over on the other side, I've always seen how, how much I needed it. Every single time. In the middle of it doesn't feel, it feels like, this is trash. Like, why am I going through this? But then in first Peter, you have where he says, like, you'll be grieved by various trials if necessary, if necessary, so that the genuineness of your faith will be proven. So so um, it's 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 made me a person who I, I can never I can never. I, let me slow down. My history with God and the stuff I've been through kind of proves that I'm always going to need him. It don't no matter how much I know, it no don't matter how much how many people like me, how many books people read. At the end of the day, <laughs> I'm weak and I need the Lord. I need him. And and it's the trials that have like shown that to me and continue to show that to me.
0: You have over one million followers on Instagram for the people with platforms who are listening. What are some things that you have found that have kept you grounded, that have kept you humble, that have kept you coming back to a place of I need the Lord and I need community. Like I can't just be known online. I have to be known by mm, in my life.
1: That's good. I think a big part of kind of how I see Christian celebrity and platforms and all of that is really a overflow of my discipleship. Um, I was discipled by multiple people and still am in, in different ways. Uh, but I had a real intense season of discipleship when I lived in LA when I was, uh, 20, no, 19 to 21 ish. And in that time, you know, it was just getting your word, die to sin. If this, if this I called you to sin, gouge it out. You need the Lord growing. Like it was like intense. And I think that that humbled me real low. Um, but it also showed me that what God cares about most is my heart. Like my disciple drilled that into me because my platform was kind of bubbling, bubbling up at that time. And she just drilled into me. God cares about your heart. God cares about your heart. God cares about your heart. Okay, you got used, but God cares about your heart. Okay, they followed you, but God cares about your heart. And she drilled it into me where I think that way now, where it's like, it really doesn't matter how many followers I have if my heart ain't right. Because y'all can't see my heart, but the Lord can, you know? Um, And so I I think having a theology that says that we were created to know God more than anything, I think is a big thing. Um, discipleship is a big thing. I still have mentors that I meet with monthly. How are you? What can I be praying for you about? I see this in your character. What? How are we going to process that? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm still, I'm not on, I'm not on an island. Um, I also think finding ways to practice your gift silently is important. Um, so, like, I'm discipling people, but I don't post about it, right? Like, I, I I served in children's church a couple times. This is the first time I've said that out loud online, right? Um, I like Like, finding ways to still be useful where you aren't applauded. I think that has a way of creating some kind of equilibrium where you don't just get used to only being in ministry and only being proud and only being faithful when somebody sees it. But also finding the secret places where only the Lord sees what you're doing and he affirms it. And he says, thank you, daughter. Like you you did that because you love me. Um, I think that's important. And then. One thing we do have to deal with, ma'am, is. The money part. Because I think that 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 corrupts a lot of things when what you do for God pays your bills, and, and so it just kind of muddies the water and so it was probably a couple years ago that i started to feel like i needed to create avenues of income that were not dependent on ministry so that my yes in ministry was a pure yes and i'm not saying you you can't make money like if you if you write a book that is selling for nineteen ninety nine. You should make money off of that, right? But I don't think that that should. I think it. You put yourself in dangerous waters when that's the sole way you make money. And I'm not talking about pastors either. I think that's different. But like people like me who are preaching and teaching and writing curriculums or, or podcasting and stuff like that, it can it can just mess stuff up. Where I think we need to have the freedom to be able to have money that isn't dependent on ministry. So even when the Lord calls us to step away. Where like the yes to stepping away is easier because you're not depending on the algorithm. Right. Like I can't step away. I can't take a Sabbath. I can't take a fast because I have to post content. I have to do this. You don't have to do all that. If you find a like start selling some hats, go get a rental property, you know, go, go sell some candy, go get a nine to five. You got to, if you got to do that to guard your heart, then do that. So all of that together is important.
0: This is more of a question for myself that I've been wondering as I start to travel more. And I asked Artie Sequoia the same thing. But how do you foster your relationship with your kids when you're constantly like, I got to leave. I got to get on a plane and I'm doing it for God. Like, what does that do to their brain when they're like, my mom's gone and she's gone for God? Like, what does that do?
1: yeah. Ooh, this is a consistent wrestle and uh tension for me. And it's something that I'm continually learning how to navigate. Um, I think the early days I wasn't as conflicted because I only had one child. They couldn't remember nothing anyway. So <laughs> it was like, I could be gone all the time, you know, and it's not like she doesn't she doesn't know. Um, it was when she started to miss me that I started to say, okay, I need to make certain decisions. Then you add to that, now I have four children, right? And so I have eight, five, three, one, all in different life stages, all with different personalities, all with different needs. And so what I've done is every year, I've progressively limited the amount of travel I do. So in 2018, before uh, before the, uh, was it the pandemic, I might have, I was on about 120 flights. So it's about 60 or 70 events. That's insane, right? And I realized that is not healthy because I have too many friends who are PKs that will always tell me about how they felt like their parents loved the ministry more than they loved them. And I'm like, I don't want to replicate that kind of like trauma. Like that's like not good. And so I limited it from that, what, 60 events to about 30 and then 30 to about 20 which was this year and then next year I'm doing about 10 and so I'm progressively just saying no more and more so that I can be present with my children and so I think people have to rest with what that looks like that for them but I do think that as a parent you're going to have I don't I think if you love your children you want to be present in their life we have to see that our parenthood is ministry for God too so it's not like I'm choosing between ministry for God. It's I'm simply saying, which ministry for God do I want to give most of my time to? And I think that helps you to govern a lot of decisions.
0: I find that there is almost a cynicism amongst like, the theologically deep towards devotionals. <laughs> um, is this something uh-huh. that you have felt and how did you approach kind of that typical thought? process when it came to writing Upon Waking?
1: Yeah, I don't like devotions, typically. Um, One, I'm not a fan of Christian content that feels real cute and pretty and like, yeah, let's open it up and, you know, think about how we feel today. And it's just like, what? Like, (laughs) I just, I don't know. I just want, I want something heavy. I want some meat. You know, even if that meat is only 250 words, I think it's possible to deliver. Like when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's meat, 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 meat in sentences. Like even Hebrew poetry is very heavy in limited amount of space. And so it's possible to have depth um, in a short amount of time or a short amount of words. And so I just wanted to create with Upon Waking what I wanted to read. Um, And I do think that there are others who might not have the temperament of wanting something that's theologically deep all the time where they can, they know how to get it for themselves. You know what I'm saying? Like I've, I've, I've been in the scriptures and I've been discipled on how to read it. So I can open up Matthew, read two sentences and really draw a lot out of it. Right. But there are others that might not be the gifting that they have or the ways they've been developed. And so I think having a devotional that is a short amount of words, but with a lot of depth, kind of take some of the intimidation out of trying to do all of that by yourself. So, yeah.
0: When you think about this book going out to people and so many people have already gotten it. My mom, by the way, picked up my kids this morning and she's like, I just got four copies. So she's very
1: (laughs) From where? Amazon? Yes.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: Okay. That's cool.
0: What is your greatest, like, what is your greatest hope? I know that's a cliche question, but when you think about people opening up this book, like what would be the one thing that you hope they walk
1: mm-hmm. away with? I have to say too, cause they're connected, which is that they'll see God and that they'll see that all of scripture is useful, you know? Cause when you have a, a devotional that's 60 days, you're pulling from scriptures all over the place. And we have a tendency to only want to go to scriptures that we think resonates with our current circumstances. Like, oh, I'm dealing with anxiety, let me go to Matthew 6. Or I'm dealing with pride, let me go to Philippians 2, which is good. I think we should do that, right? But we also need, a, a, we need to read the whole thing so that we have even a framework of the storyline of it. And so I think for people to not have control over what scripture they read every day can, I think, serve the conviction that all of scripture serves you even if it doesn't feel like it resonates with you. Um, So that's my goal and my hope.
0: You already touched on kind of diminishing the amount that you're speaking. With Glory coming to a close, what's next for you? What does next year look like or what is this? What are you anticipating about this next sort of season of ministry?
1: Yeah, me and Preston are doing a prayer and planning retreat with two mentor couples that we have in December to think about that to, 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 to talk with God and see what is his vision for us? What is his plan for us? Um, mm. Because it's, it's, it's when he tells us what he wants us to do that we know he's with us. Um, mm. So that's one. I think part of what he'll tell us to do is what he's been telling me to do, which I need to finish school. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I only have 10 credit hours. And I've been in school almost three years, but it's because I've had babies. I've been writing and all the stuff. And so I'm taking I'm still going to be traveling and doing stuff, but I'm not doing it to the degree that I could or have so that I can focus on school. Because I feel like when I get more uh, like when I finish my degree or even get close to finish it, I'll have more to offer the world. I'll have Mm. more to say. I feel like I'll think better. And so I'll be able to communicate better. I'll be able to serve people better. Um, stuff like that and then me and Preston are planning to build some organizational things so that we could just we could do what we do without needing a middle a middleman to do it which Mm -hmm. is a whole nother conversation but yeah
0: (laughs) for the person who is listening who's saying oh man Jackie I feel called to do what you do and I've been creating content and I've been getting on I've been trying to speak everywhere and I've been trying to write and I've been doing all these things And essentially, they just feel like they're maybe stuck striving, but they feel like they're stuck striving because they feel like that's what God has called them to do. What would be a piece of advice Hmm. or what would you say to them if they were sitting in front of you just saying, I am exhausted from the amount of things I've been trying to create because of the Mm -hmm. call that I feel? What do I do?
1: That's such a loaded question because... Part of me also would want to be curious about what you mean by call, and I'm always kind of uh, curious when people say they're called to do something that's public, or they're called to do something that is like an influencer. Like it's like, yeah, you 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 could be, but I, I think we need to realize that the preeminent call is to love God and love people. Period. So the way that looks is diverse, but that's the preeminent call. And then I would say James 3 talks about how like, you know, y'all, some of y'all shouldn't be teachers because teachers will be judged more harshly. And I think if you are pursuing to be an influencer or a Bible teacher of any kind, you are pursuing the role that will be judged more harshly. So you need to be careful. Right. Like you, you need to know that you are taking on a call that has weight and that God takes very seriously. Like if if you, if you people are listening to you and believing you and living in light of what you said is so-called true, do you understand how much God takes that seriously? And God forbid you put his name on it. Oh man, like, I don't know. That just gives me some pause. And so think through all of that when you say that God has called me to X, Y, and Z. Now, if he has... I've, I've come to see, there's this book called, uh, oh, it's right here, Leadership as an Identity by Crawford Loritz. This thing right here ministered to my heart so bad because he's really communicating a few ideas. But one is that as a leader, you're called to serve people. you washing feet, bro. So yeah, people applaud. Yeah, da, da, da. you're called to serve people too. In that call, God uses what he calls you to to sanctify you. And so don't be surprised when in trying to fulfill the call, it hurts. When in trying to feel fulfill the call, it's frustrating. When in trying to fulfill the call, you get betrayed. When in trying to fulfill the call, you feel insecure. God is using even his call on your life to prune you, to make you a better human being that looks like Jesus. And so I think that's encouraging to know that like, oh, sometimes stuff is just crazy and all over the place because God is trying to do a work in me. That's two. Three, get some wise people in your life, bro, that you can process through your yeses with. Because sometimes we are saying yes out of anxiety, not out of commission. And that's that's an important thing to determine. Has God called me to this yes? Does this yes serve the vision that he's given me? Or is this yes out of me trying to you know, is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it selfish ambition? Even is it, is it, is it people pleasing? I want people to see that I'm busy. I want people to know that I'm valuable. So I'm just going to say yes to every single thing. And then at the end of the day, you have a panic attacks because you ain't created no space for Sabbath because you gave in your yes away to like, so I think all three of that leadership is service. Uh, your call will sanctify you and have wise people in your corner that can continue to counsel you on what you need to be giving your time to. That's what I would say.
0: For people who want to keep up with your ministry, your speaking engagements, your podcasts, your books, what's the best place to do that?
1: Um, I guess my website. I don't even update my website. So it just feels like the typical thing <laughs> to say, I guess, about website, But my Instagram, that's live. Like I feel like I post on that all the time. So if ever Instagram crashes, and we got to go back to newsletters or something, then you can just find me on my website. <laughs> and what's your Instagram handle? Uh, Jackie Hill Perry. Can I say that? It's a podcast created by my mom, Blaine If you'd like to hear more about my mom's fantasy, you can go on Instagram and show it's button on my head or go to www.betterblank.com.